Amen. So, so great to see everybody here. Um, th this is uh, it's a powerful time that we're, we're in right now. The world in Jesus' day, and as we look at a miracle from John chapter 2 uh, this morning, uh, it, it was a world that was full of a lot of stress. It was a world of darkness. It was a world of oppression, of injustice, man's inhumanity to man, poverty, abuse, and um, it, it was a hard life for most people. Um, it was a cruel life for many people, and uh, people needed to really make a tight circle with their family, with their friends, and with their faith to be able to get through a lot of it. And then there was the cascading amount of stress on people's lives that we relate to very well. In fact, Jesus and the apostles said, the, uh, the time is going to come in the latter days where there's going to be exponential stress, stress upon stress, times of stress, you know, in people's life. If 2020 is any indication of that, well, we may have that to look forward to. 2019 was no picnic in terms of that too, you know, for, you know, for many people. And the people in, in John's day as he wrote this, this gospel and in Jesus' day, they didn't need another sermon. They, they didn't need another general. They didn't need another war. They didn't need another religion. What they needed was a miracle. And we need the same today. You know, we began a series last week on the miracles. Jeff started off with the John chapter 4, the healing of the official son. And his title was More Than a Healing. And Jeff, thanks for, thanks for the sermon, but thanks also for today and for your admonishment in helping us keep our minds focused on Scripture and on Jesus. This morning, I want us to talk about John chapter 2, the water turned to wine, Jesus' first recorded miracle, as John lets us know. And I'm entitling this, More Than a Miracle. And I hope uh, that we'll be able to kind of dig deep into this. I'm going to ask you whether you're here today in person or you're... Uh, you know, sharing this on live stream or maybe even a little bit later in the day or the week, I'd like you to carefully consider this. I'd like you to carefully consider this miracle and to be able to look and to be able to reflect if there may be a thing or two that you haven't totally connected with in this, I think, amazing Miracle, and what has become for me in the last 15, 20 years of my life, my favorite miracle of Jesus. Maybe my favorite miracle in the entire Bible, and I hope you'll get a sense of why I feel that way as we, as we continue on. The ultimate, uh, the ultimate purpose for Jesus' uh, miracles were to help us believe. It goes on in John, chapter, uh, in John chapter 1 where John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God from the beginning. Everything was created through him, and without him not a single thing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. And in verse 14, the Word became flesh, 
and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only Son of God, full of grace and full of truth. And in those next four verses, four times, grace is mentioned as Jesus brought in this amazing view and reality and understanding of God's grace. But first, got to believe it. And the, the idea of the miracles and the signs, as John calls them, is so we could believe. And so we have this passage in, uh, in John chapter 20. And he tells us, you know, there, Jesus did a lot of other signs in the presence of his disciples. And signs, of course, is the word John uses for miracle. In the presence of his disciples that, that aren't written in this book. And in fact, he'll go on and he'll say in chapter 21, I mean, if you, if you try to write down everything Jesus said, did, especially, you'd fill up the world with volumes. I mean, that was his way of saying there's no way to be able to, you know, understand it at all. But what is written is written down so you and me can believe. And it's not just a casual belief. It's a deep set belief that orders our priorities and our heart and our attitude. And it gives us this sense of expectation and walk with God and closeness to God and sense of what our purpose really is in life. And it flows from Jesus, believing in Jesus. And these miracles are supposed to really help us in, uh, you know, in this regard. You know, the, the, the Bible has a lot of miracles. A lot of miracles of Jesus are, you know, are, are, are written down. John chooses to call them signs, and he, he highlights seven signs. Jeff looked at one last week, John chapter 4, healing of the official son. Of course, here in John chapter 2, the water turned to wine. And in John 5, we're going to see the healing of the man in Bethesda at the pool. And you're going to see in chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water. And then that dramatic, powerful raising of Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. And, and John highlights all of these things as, you know, as signs. But John goes on to say in chapter 2, what, what happens here? What happens here is the first of the signs through which Jesus revealed his glory. We're going to see that as we read on, you know, in verse 10. So uh, this was the first miracle. What, uh, what can we learn from it? Uh, I'd like you to open up your Bible now, wherever you are, around the kitchen table, at home, here. And let's, let's follow along. It's a short reading. It's actually just 12 verses, you know, this account. And then we'll move on. Jesus will go from Cana, take a quick trip back to Capernaum, and then in Jerusalem, he will make a pretty grand entrance, as we're going to be able to, uh, to, to see. On the third day, let's read along. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said, Hey, they, they, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time or my hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. You keep reading and we find out that nearby stood six stone jars, the kind that were used for the Jews for ceremonial washing each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. 
So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They, uh, they did so. There we go. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine. He didn't realize where it came from, though the servants who drew the water knew. And he called the bridegroom aside, and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheap stuff, the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Now, weddings in, uh, you know, in Galilee and in small villages there were quite, a, you know, were quite a scene. Some of you may have thought about this, studied it out. And it was often the event of the year in a, in a small village like Cana. The whole town is going to be able to turn out. Mary apparently is a relative or a close friend, you know, you know lives a little ways away in, uh, in Nazareth. You look in verse 12 if you're reading on ahead. Jesus' brothers were there, whole family was there, invited to the wedding. It was a, it, it was a, big, it was a big deal. And then one of the hallmarks of, uh, of the Middle East is hospitality. So important to take care, you know, of your guest. And the, it would be seven days long. That's a long wedding reception, okay? But that's what they did. They had a great time. They had a great party, and wine was on the menu. That was part of it, you know, seven days worth, and uh, you weren't supposed to run out of food, and you weren't supposed to run out of wine. It happened. I mean, their lack of preparations that always take place. It's an embarrassment. It's, you know, uh, you'll lose some, some honor in that, and, you know, people won't be able to get their extra glasses, you know, of wine. But it was still, it was, it was not, it wasn't the end of the world. It wasn't one of the bigger issues going on in that day or even in that town. And yet, uh, Jesus' mom says, hey, listen, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're out of wine. Um, Jesus had just come from uh, Jordan. He'd been baptized by John the Baptist a short time ago. He'd collected a few disciples. He got uh, Andrew and an unnamed disciple. Andrew got his brother, Peter. They got Philip. Philip got Nathaniel. And now they're, they're on their way, okay, to uh, it's about a uh, three-day three journey you know, uh, it's there several days to get there. They walked there, and then they would continue on to Capernaum and then on to, uh, on to Jerusalem. That was, what was, uh, that was what was going on. Um, when, uh, when the wine was gone, well, here's this passage I referred to early. Now, please watch it. What Jesus did in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. That was the significance, you know, you know of this. And when, uh, when the wine was gone, we'll double back here. Jesus' mom, you know, says, hey, they have no more wine. That's a little bit like, guys, you know, your wife saying, the trash is full. Now, there's, there's, there's an inherent message in that. Go take out the trash. And... Um, Jesus' mom says, hey, they have no more wine. And Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? Now, now be careful on the woman. That's not insulting like we would if we might say it today. Uh, Jesus also refers to Mary in the same way on the cross. Woman, here's your son. You know, you know, here's, your, you know here's your mother. So he wasn't insulting his mom. He was just, he was just saying, 
what the, how does these guys running low on wine involve me? My time has not yet come. What does Jesus mean by that? Is there anything we can really, you know, get from this other than the fact that uh, Jesus was a nice guy and really tried to help take care of these guys at the wedding? Here, uh, you know, Jesus didn't insult the situation on that. It's not like he didn't care, you know, at all about it. He didn't say, good, I'm glad the wine wore out. You shouldn't be drinking wine anyway. What's the deal? And he didn't chastise the host for lack of preparation and not, not knowing who was coming and how many people and being prepared. And he, he didn't get on people for drinking too much. And people did that at these kind of celebrations. They didn't drive home. Okay, so there weren't problems on the road. But, uh, you know, some people, you know, they, 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 would, they would take advantage of that situation. But Jesus is very intentional. Jesus Christ is very intentional about what he does. Now, we're, as he's going about that, the beauty of Jesus, and we'll hit it again in, in just a little bit, he could be interrupted. And he could stop what he was doing for a moment and focus and take care of a need. But he was very intentional in what he did. And, the, I, you know, you, you think about this. Okay, Jesus, did you think through this? Was this really the ideal setting for your first miracle? Is this what you had in mind all along? Why here? Why now? There are actually a host of interesting interpretations. I'm going to run by some of them. You know, I've looked at them many times. I actually refreshed myself this week because, uh, you know, some of them are even a little bit inventive. Okay, here's one. Some people, you know, say the first miracle was to signify that Jesus changed the water of law into the wine of grace. Now, that's a lovely thought. And uh, I, I, I guess you could see, you know, that, and especially how Jesus brought grace and truth. Another thought is that Cana, the transformation, was something, that of all, something that's already good, water, into something that's even better, wine. That's a thought. There's a contrasting of the laws of Judaism and grace, you know, the, the, you know, the, the water, Judaism, Jesus, the wine. Uh, the miracle made a strong impression, some people said, on Jesus' disciples and teaching them from the start that he could take care of them. Okay, so maybe that's what caused Jesus to say my, you know, when he initially say my time's not yet, to go ahead and change his mind. It's at this moment that Jesus first allows the people around him to see that he is the Messiah, others say. He, the water is the past. He is the wine, the promised future. The fact that the miracle is performed at a wedding is significant, according to some people. Jesus places his stamp of approval on the marriage covenant. You know, it's great to be single too, though, right? Jesus was single. Apostle Paul, ah, that's an interesting thought, but that just doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't take you too deeply here. Uh, could have said, okay, this is a, a common family situation, a wedding, and so an ordinary setting becomes a showcase for the first miracle because Jesus wants to do something supernatural in the everyday events of our life. That also is a lovely thought. Being, uh, here's a thought, being a follower of Jesus is like being invited to a wedding where the wine doesn't run out and Christians should be full of joy. I like that, don't you? Was that the grand point? of Jesus 
making this his first miracle. And then, of course, there's some references back to Jeremiah and, and Amos, where it's this metaphor of, you know, grain and wine being like, uh, you know, the plenteous future, you know, once the, once the Messiah, you know, has, has arrived. It's a picture of heaven, some wrote, where we join the great wedding banquet of the bridegroom, and there will be plenty of wine. So, um, some even suggested it was Jesus' wedding. Don't think we'll go down that street. You know, I feel like for me personally, for a lot of years, I basically think I understand this. Not that any of all of that can in part be true. I think I understand what was going on. Jesus was very, very intentional on what he did you know things. I've read, but again this week, dozens of times, and I've just, it's amazed to me how few people really point this out. When Jesus said, my, it, it's not my time yet. It's not my hour yet. Could it be that Jesus didn't really plan on this at all? That when Jesus changed the water into wine, he was revealing his glory but that wasn't his original intent, you know, at, uh, you know, at all. Let me, let me give you a glimpse into this. As you read on in John, what happens later in, in John chapter 2? Well, Jesus takes his disciples after a, a quick jaunt to Capernaum for a few days. He goes to Jerusalem, and what happens at the beginning you know, before we get to this, right after the wedding, is Jesus turns up the tables in the temple. Do you remember? He makes quite an impression, a very strong public impression. And then what the Bible says, when it was almost Jewish, you know, almost a Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem, and, and while in Jerusalem, the Passover festival, many people saw the signs or the miracles he was performing and believed in his name. What I, what I really believe is Jesus made a stop by in Cana, you know, his, his mom invited him to drop by, you know, the wedding, and uh, he was on his way to Jerusalem where, yes, he was going to start performing some signs and some miracles, and he was going to come out, and he was going to be very public. I mean, he also would go back out into the desert and be with his disciples, but, but he, he was making a statement, and I believe it was intentional. In fact, Jerusalem would be the place where he said many times his hour was really going to come, you know, the, the, the hour of, of, of his death. And so it's uh, the, the thing that, that comes to, uh, to my mind is, uh, you know, is a question, would God adjust his problem, would God adjust his plan for you? I believe that Jesus adjusted his plan for his mom. It was not a bigger shaking deal. But his mom, because of his closeness and his relationship with him, with, with no previous intent to come and create a bunch of wine, you know, out of some jars, because of the request of his mom who was so close to him, he went ahead and did it anyway. And I think about different times, you know, in the Bible when Abraham is pleading with God for the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember? And he's asking God, hey, if we can just find a few more righteous people, would you not destroy it? And he does it again, and he does it again. And God appears to listen and agree with that. Moses and God... 
God is about to wipe out the entire nation of Israel, you know, in the desert because of their inobedience and their stubbornness of heart. And Moses pleads with him and says, God, please do not do it, you know. And, you know, it, it says God relented or you know, however you want to theologically view this, that's what, you know, that's what happened. Hezekiah was praying as he was on his deathbed, and the prophet told him that he was going to die. He went to God powerfully and pleaded, you know, for extra years, and God gave him extra years. I honestly do not know how all of this works. I do know that Jesus is tender. I know he's compassionate. I know he cares, and there are other passages that will illustrate this. But I want to, like, present to you, when we pray, does it do anything other than align our hearts with God? That probably is maybe the most important thing. Does it do anything when we pray for a sick person? Does it do anything when we pray for somebody, you know, for an adult child who's having some struggles? Does it do anything when we pray for our country? Can it possibly even be that sometimes God will adjust the timing on certain things because of the closeness that we have with God and the power of the Holy Spirit and our prayers? If this is true, and I believe it is, that is amazing, that God would care about the hairs on your head. Apparently he does. Jesus said that. And, and that he is like a father. And then, I mean, even more, will closest to God influence him? Could it be possible that the closer I get to God, not with the purpose of getting goodies from him, but the closer I get to God, the closer I draw to him, that my, that my prayers are even more powerful for my family. They're even more powerful for the people, you know, around me. It, it's, uh, I think this is a powerful thing. It, I believe it was Jesus' relationship with his mom, his close relationship with his mom, her request, not because he was so concerned about the guys running low on juice, that would cause him, do you remember, my time has not come. Why, why are you bothering me with this, Mary? And he changed his mind. That, that opens up an awful lot if you want to take some time to think about this, about what our relationship with God can truly be. It's a tremendous motivation to, to, to draw closer, ever closer, you know, to him. Because we do love our kids. We do love our country. We do love our church. We do want to make a difference. And we, we know most of what we can do is some day-by-day -day serving and giving, but also by, you know, by the power, uh, you know, of our prayers. I mean, this is not a new thought. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7? He says, ask, keep on asking. Keep on knocking and seeking. And he gives you an illustration. Why? If you do, you're going to get it. Okay, not, not like a, a short order cook, you know, going to McDonald's and they give me this, give me that. But he, he, he equates it to a father and a son. When, when a son asks for some food, is he going to give him a snake or a rock? No. And what's the punchline that Jesus says? How much more, even though you're evil and know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will God give, your Father who is in heaven, give good things to those who do what? Ask him. Now, what are we saying? Are we saying, well, this is prosperity gospel, okay? You know, just pray and God's just going to get there. Nope, that's not what it's saying. God is a parent. Do you get, the parents give everything their kids ask for? No. There's a timing in things, Correct. There's maturity. 
in things. They're the needs of other people. But is there a special relationship with a dad and a mom and their children? You bet. There's a special relationship, you know, that's there. This is what the Scripture really teaches. And I just am hoping, you know, in just another way, maybe to look at a miracle in a little different way. That it's not just a dramatic need that's out there. It's not just some compassionate thing that gets to get done. But because of the closeness that people can have to God and Jesus, that there can be maybe even some adjustments. Not eternal ones, but ones that out of his sheer love and grace is what it's called. More than a miracle. Not just a big dramatic event, not just, you know, something to cause people to believe, but out of, of God's great goodness. And what he say, what goes on? If you want the whole thing, you read John 1 through John 3. You get the whole picture of this. And in John 3, Jesus is in Jerusalem. A guy comes to him at night. His name is Nicodemus. And, uh, you know, he says, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus says this, can a man be born when he is old? And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born of the water and the Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, how can these things be? That's a great question, Nicodemus. Noel's going to share for a minute. Hey, family. Well, I'd like to introduce you to Miss Doris, who asked this very same question. Miss Doris is 97 and a half years old. This is Miss Doris Ferncombe. Kevin and I met Miss Doris last year when we moved into the Airbnb. When we first returned from South America, we moved into the Airbnb that her daughter owned. And what struck me amaze immediately was just her clear mind, her amazing love for God, her love for the scriptures. And so we've been friends throughout this past year. And so not too long ago, I mentioned to her that a friend of mine was going to be baptized. And Miss Doris looked at me and she said, from her retirement home porch, of which I was standing 15 feet away, said, Noelle, I've never been baptized. And I said, Miss Doris, would you like to learn about God's amazing plan for you? and how you can be baptized and be forgiven of your sins. She said, how can I be baptized? I'm old. I'm on oxygen. I said, you know what? Let's spend time in God's word. Let's, see, let's just see his plan for your life and let him work out all the details. And so throughout this past time, Miss Doris has been studying the Bible. And hi, Miss Doris. Um, and she, she came to the very clear decision of how, how it's so clear to me. And so as she was making that decision, I then thought, how can this be? <laughs> and as God always does and is always working miracles because he's always working, that very day, God sent Mr. Jesse, who's the maintenance manager at her retirement home, who is a brother in a local sister church, to her room, and she shared with him, Jesse, I want to be baptized, but I don't know how. He said, oh, Miss Doris, here's water. It's warm. We can baptize you. And so Jesse and I became great friends, 
And we talked and we planned, and on Friday afternoon, Miss Doris was baptized for the forgiveness of her sins so that she might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And while she reminds me of many people in the Bible, Apollos, Ethiopian eunuch, Lydia, many, she, when she's baptized, has that spirit of Caleb that said, God has kept me alive all of these years until this day. Here I am, just as strong in my heart and my love and faith for God as I always hope to be and will be. And I am vigorous to serve him with all of my heart. There we go. God is always working miracles. Doris went, uh, went down to that water as uh, one person and uh, came back out of the water as a new person, which, uh, and all you can do is say amen. You know, so, some could ask, do you seriously believe this 97-year-old woman received a brand new life? You guys seriously believe that? Depends on uh, who you're listening to. Do you seriously believe that Jesus changed water into wine? Do you? What was the point? Do you, do you seriously believe, you know, that, that much of life is a miracle anyway? Let me tell you what I deeply believe. I deeply believe in many ways we just scratch the surface on this, on what God can do, on the power that's there. And sometimes we get more than, uh, than a miracle. Sometimes we get more than we have any logical reason to believe. Sometimes we receive more than we can dare to ask or imagine. You know, um, how can this be? It just can because of Jesus. Let the, all the miracles, but this water turned into wine, give you great encouragement. And then, you know, Jesus did many signs, and we know what they were for. Let's have communion now. We're going to share that together in our homes and, and here, and just thank God for the miracle of new life. Dear Father in heaven, we can't thank you enough. We don't have the words to just say thank you for sending Jesus, for uh, showing us grace and truth and also showing us your heart and your concern for us. Just help us to keep on believing and to have true life in, in, in his name as we take this bread, we take this juice, we do it in the name of Jesus. Amen.